The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. everybody and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where good taste and bad taste play the harp. My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> How lovely. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. People call me Whitney Seibold or uh, call me as everybody else calls me, your royal sex machine. And uh, this week on, thank you for the Brain Donors. <laughs> That's a Brain Donor reserve. That's a very funny movie. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Brain Donors? It's uh, John Turturro uh, trying to do Groucho Marx in the 90s. It's like a modern Groucho, 90s version of Groucho Marx. Well, the whole Marx Brothers, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow it works. Like, somehow that's actually funny. That shouldn't uh, be funny. That should be death. And William Bibiani and I are the only people who seem to have seen this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we both love it, and nobody else talks about this Everyone I show it to laughs their butts off. So Mm -hmm. if you've never seen Brain Donors and you want a good laugh, that would be the thing to do. Uh, but in any case, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing some new movies. We're reviewing uh, the horror movie Vampires vs. the Bronx. Uh, we're reviewing the new sci-fi movie Save Yourselves, the Italian horror movie The Binding, the movie I didn't see or hear about, Eternal Beauty. And <laughs> Well, I saw it, and well, I, I heard about it, and I and saw it. when you start talking about it, you'll fill us in. But right yes, now, indeed. I got nothing. And uh, this week on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, where we're catching up on movies that one or both of us missed, uh, Whitney had never seen Train to Busan, so we will be talking about that South Korean zombie epic that a lot of people really, really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about The Elephant in the Room. Some people have uh, noticed uh, on Twitter, I made a short announcement this weekend, uh, that um, I, uh, I really messed up my back and actually my neck. This weekend, uh, mm-hmm. someone rear-ended my car. Uh-huh. Uh, it just sucked, so I was out of com- I was out of commission for a couple of days. I'm I'm getting better, so I feel like I can like sit upright and podcast now. Uh, so I apologize for the delays. We don't like them any more than you do. We're gonna try to fix that uh, uh, real real soon and try to get back on the horse this week. So thank you everybody who sent their well wishes on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody, on our Patreon who sent uh, their well wishes. Thank you, everybody, who simply thought, oh, that's too bad. Uh, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. It's nice to know that you're out there thinking, you know, give, sending positive vibes. Really appreciate it. But uh, enough about me. Let's talk about some movies. <laughs> Whitney. Yes. Tell me about vampires versus the Bronx. I love that. We usually like to start with, well, the big one this week was, but there's no big ones this week, this week. Not really, um, no. There's no, like, giant, like, super, like, everyone's looking forward to um, it, like, blockbuster or major Netflix release. It's a lot of, October is a month where they put out a lot of horror stuff. That should come as no surprise. It's the month of Halloween. It's hmm. not rocket surgery. But this year in particular... 
I, I've been doing like some like horror preview columns for Bloody Disgusting, just sort of outlining okay. here's all the horror stuff coming out this week. This year, this this year in particular, October is just a big damn fruit tart <laughs> of horror, and it's full of blueberries and kiwis and giant pine. I don't know. It's a bad metaphor. The point is there's a lot of it. <laughs> it's a giant there's, fruit tart. There's a uh, lot of horror well, this, this month. What's been going on is, I mean, there's usually is, uh, but right. we're usually not paying attention to a lot of it because we're busy uh, in theaters mm-hmm. as critics. We're usually covering whatever the major releases are, and those aren't always horror movies. No, in fact, uh, the last few years, it's been seen as kind of gauche mm-hmm. to release a lot of major horror movies Although big in horror October. movies come out in August now. It's really bizarre. Yeah, well, I think the idea is we put them out in September, and that way they can just still be in theaters for October mm. because I think some studios think that if you put something out in October no one's going to want to go see it in November I think they I think Warner Brothers really shot themselves in the foot when they released Doctor Sleep the week after Halloween like yeah, it, yeah. it's the sequel to The Shining you'll get more views what are you doing <laughs> Well, and also uh, this idea that a film is going to o- open in early September and still be in theaters two months later is kind of kind of absurd there, now. There's only but like now, a couple we're, we're, of movies that can do that, yeah. Uh, but my wife pointed this out because I, I already watched a movie called The War with Grandpa, which I'll talk about next week. It's a, a film. It's a studio film with Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman is in it, mm. uh, Rob Riggle is in it, Christopher Walken is in it, Cheech is in it, Jane Seymour is in it, and it's a lightweight family, com- PG-rated family comedy. Right. Big studio piece of fluff and it's going theatrical only that is drive-ins around here wow because all the theaters in los angeles are still closed and the nearest drive-in and, to los angeles is like 45 minutes it, in good traffic yeah it's 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 not close yeah there isn't one like in the heart of la uh, no. there's just the, the real estate's too valuable around here yeah. so they're not gonna tear out this gigantic lot to put in a drive-in theater uh, and my wife I, pointed I'm out to that suspect someone's going to do that one of these days. Like it, it used to be that if uh, studios were trying to sort of shunt a, a lesser known or not very prestigious picture off to the side, they would release it direct to streaming or direct to video. Now it's, it's the like, opposite. Now it's the opposite. Now if they're trying to hide a film, they're putting it in theaters where people can't see it. That's what Disney did with New Mutants. Mm-hmm. The, they're they're New hiding Mutants, it. This movie that they were putting off for years and years and years, and they clearly mm-hmm. weren't very proud of it. And then finally, like apparently they were contractually obligated to release it in theaters. They're like, fuck it. Let's put it out in August during a pandemic. You know what the number one movie of the week was? It was wasn't it Tenet again with like $1 million? Or? Hocus Pocus. Oh, that's right. They They're re-releasing re- all these movies. They re-released Hocus Pocus, Disney's Hocus Pocus, with Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, mm-hmm. Kathy Najimy. Cute Halloween family movie from I Disney. It's well made. I haven't seen it. Good. Not, I like it. Fine. Not really I, interested. But I, yeah. I like it. It's cute. My point is this. That movie came out over 25 years ago, and I don't think it was ever number one at the box office. And now it is. I don't know. <laughs> does this happen a lot? Like, this is weird. I love that, by the way. That's a fun... Mm-hmm. Weird well, anecdotes to what we're doing right now. It's a tragedy that theaters are going but, to put, uh, but... Uh, R.I.P. Regal Cinemas, they're closing for the rest of the year. Will yeah. they reopen? Who knows? Um, yeah. But uh, the thing about horror, in particular, is that it's always occupied every space. Yeah. You can always find some lesser known or some prestigious horror movies in theaters around this time of year. Yeah. But they're always lurking around in the straight-to-video and streaming services. We have a streaming service devoted entirely to horror called Shudder. Yeah. And there's others besides, other way lesser-known streaming services besides. 
And as such, we're kind of getting them all choked up in one location now. Because since it's all going into streaming, we're now paying closer attention to every horror movie that's being released in October. And all of a sudden we're realizing, wait a minute, there's a metric fuck ton of this stuff. And you know what? A lot of it's good. A lot of it's good. A lot of it. And we've we've always tried to make a concerted effort to highlight whenever we could Hmm. straight to video, video on demand, streaming, like the non-theatrical stuff on this podcast, even before the pandemic. And... It's it's always really bugged me, like, how... Like, yeah, there's a lot of crap out there. There's a lot of crap mm. in theaters, too, in case you hadn't noticed. So mm. it's just more expensive crap. And I think we're going to find, now that, like, you know, The Batman has been pushed back to, like, 2022, and all, like, you know, James Bond been pushed back, and, like, like going to be a whole year at this point. Stop holding your breath on the blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, if they're not going to happen. Because here's, here's, here's what's going on. The blockbusters that are all in the can right now, your James mm. Bonds your Fast and Furious mm. 9 or whatever the fuck mm. we're on now, um, they cost so much money that releasing them on streaming is, is probably not financially viable. They might try it with a few. They did it with Mulan. Mm. But they're doing that to sell people on the streaming services if they haven't got them yet. Yeah, That's the, the marketing ploy here. They can't do that with all of them or they're going to take a huge bath on this. What I suspect is going to happen is that eventually when movies start going to production again, even the big blockbusters, we're going to start seeing a lot cheaper movies there. Yeah. They're, they need to be, they need to been... be able to be released on straight to streaming and make a profit. They need to do that. Yeah. Now this is, I think we're seeing the end of this giant $400 million blockbuster era. Like there'll be a couple of those, mm. probably mostly MCU star Wars, that kind of thing. And then everything else, I, it's going to be like less than a hundred million. Like Even if, the big stuff. Yeah. The, you'll, there's a reason why we haven't seen Black Widow. Yeah. Uh, because they need it to make at least half a billion dollars opening weekend. Otherwise, there's no way to justify its cost. Yeah. They took a total bath on Mulan. They're not going to do it again. Disney. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm sure they did it, okay. I'm sure they sold a lot yeah. more, like, you know, streaming subscriptions, and they, they're going to consider that a win. I, I yeah. don't want theaters to die. They're no. very valuable to me. They're I work, I work in, I've worked in theaters my whole life. It's uh, a... Goddamn tragedy that that industry has taken such a hit, and I think we're not going to come back from it. I don't think we're going to come pretty, back as strong anyway. No, no. I'm pretty pretty certain there's going to be market, there's but... going to be a lot of cities in America that just won't have theaters, and like multiplexes as we know them are going to die out or at least change a lot. I and, think they're uh, going to start getting picked up now that vertical integration is mm. legal again. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of like studios buy yeah, movie theater yeah, chains. Like, come, come, just... to, come see your favorite Paramount movies at the Paramount Theater. Yeah, yeah well, I think it's probably mostly going to be Disney and Warner well, Brothers, yeah. but like. You'll just be theaters that show nothing but Disney movies, and they'll probably have Disney attractions in them. And I'm sure a lot of people will really enjoy that, as long as you don't care about any other movies. Yeah, if, if you care, if you care about variety and art, yeah. then you're in trouble. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's harsh. Disney yeah. makes art; they just make a lot of corporate art. Uh, all right, uh, <laughs> but uh, that said. There's always, and this is said by critics from time immemorial. There's always a place for horror. Uh, no matter where you are, no matter what theater you are, there's always going to be a scary movie somewhere out there because people like them. Yeah. And they can be made on the cheap. And I think that's the the one benefit we're going to get all in this. Uh, filmmakers are going to have to get more creative. Yeah. Working under budgets. They're not going to be all these sort of samey, gigantic special effects bonanzas. And I think if you want to see, like, what a filmmaker can do mm. with a low budget, but, but fun ideas, mm. good cast, even if they're not a lot of famous people in it, 
and just you can have the time of your life. Uh, Vampires versus the Bronx is a great example. Uh, it's it's an excellent example. This one reminded me of like uh, John Carpenter and Don Coscarelli movies from the eighties. Yeah. Uh, it had that you know poltergeist, uh, almost a Spielberg like early Spielberg vibe. Well, it's that, it's that precocious kids getting yeah. in, you know meeting up with the fantastical mm. and rising to the occasion. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's antagonistic or just mm. magical. Here it's about a group of kids in the Bronx. Uh, their neighborhood is being gentrified uh, by. Uh, We're now realty. <laughs> cute, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, and, and and the the logo is the logo is Vlad the Impaler. So it's pretty obvious what's going on. Well, it's, pre- it's pretty obvious they like referencing things. Mm. Uh, the uh, uh, Shea Wiggum plays... Um, is that his name, Shea Wiggum? Shea Wiggum. The guy who plays... Uh, uh, there's the guy, like, the real estate guy in charge of all of this. His name is Polidori, oh, yeah. which is You're funny right. if you know the name. Um, yeah, it was Shea Wiggum as the... Yeah. yeah, it's one of those actors whose names I always kind of mess up because mm. he's, you know, rarely stars in things, but he's a very mm. reliable character actor. It's about a group of kids in the Bronx. Their neighborhood is being gentrified, but... Uh, in this case, the uh, the rich white businesses and uh, fancy new apartment buildings that the original inhabitants of the neighborhood can no longer afford to live in, uh, they're literally uh, owned by vampires. <laughs> and they're moving <laughs> and they're... in because the, the people who are uh, poor and are not white... Uh, can be preyed upon very easily, and the cops won't give a shit mm. because America sucks sometimes. And and that's that's the subtext uh, to the film, but the, the that's te- barely subtext. Well, it's, I mean, that's that's, <laughs> that's the, basically like, it the is text. it is the text of the movie. The the the, the, the evil villain uh, it yeah. does make a speech to that effect. Uh, more than anything, though, it's about these kids who very much value their neighborhood. Yeah, and they and love they their neighborhood. and they love yeah. their neighborhood. They have like neighborhood block parties. And they, uh, very much like in the movie Blind Spotting, mm-hmm. are a l- really kind of disgusted with the gentrification that's going on. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene early on, which I really loved, where uh, somebody tears down a flyer for a business that's coming, and a, a local business was shut down. And uh, they look at it, it's called, like, the axe handle, or something, like, really yeah. hipstery sounding. Yeah, like and bone they, and needle or something. Yeah, like, like that. that. Yeah. And they, they look at it, it's like, is, is it a hair salon or a restaurant? I don't even know. Yeah. It's, like, so, so vague, this new new gentrified aesthetic. Uh, yeah. There's a character in it who uh, owns a convenience store. He's run it for a long time. And he starts, like, adding organic yogurt yeah. and like we- weird, yeah, and, uh, weird uh, kind of gentrified foods to his market just to keep up with the times. Yeah, he says, uh, oh, we got, we have kale now and uh, another kind of kale, <laughs> which is pretty on the nose, actually. It's, it's, uh, there's a scene just like that in Blind Spotting yeah. where uh, Davi Diggs buys like a green juice. Oh yeah, I love this thing. And he takes a big swig and then says, oh shit. Yeah, kale isn't exactly, you really have to know what to do with kale if kale is even vaguely edible if you ask me, but um, so it's, it's got this social commentary here, but it's using the, the tricks of the trade that we learned in 80s cinema. And I, I think interestingly enough, nineties cinema, mm. um, in order to tell a fanciful, fun horror comedy, uh, a story about it. Uh, the, you, you mentioned Spielberg, Coscarelli, mm. Dante, the framework of this film and certain parts of the film play almost eerily like a remake of it, uh, mm. is the Lost Boys. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Monster Squad, but all well, right. Monster Squad and Lost Boys are of a piece. But the mm. Lost Boys, you know, it's about uh, 
kid in a kid in a neighborhood. We get a big sense of the neighborhood and begins to suspect that they're actual vampires in town. Of course, nobody believes them. Mm-hmm. And in the Lost Boys, uh, he gets all of his information about vampires from comic books. In mm-hmm. Vampires vs. the Bronx, the kids get all of their information about vampires from watching the movie Blade. <laughs> the movie Blade. It's so which, hilarious. I love it. I love it very, very much because it, it basically codifies Blade as like the new vampire canon for a new generation. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the horror classic from before their time. Right, right, right. And that is not... I'm not laughing because any slight on Blade. Blade fucks. Blade is a cool <laughs> movie. I like Blade a lot. Mm. Um, but it's kind of fun to see like new generations sort of update sort of the pop culture references and to see what is actually sunk in. You uh-huh. know, what's the vampire movie from the 90s that was to the 90s what the Lost Boys was to the 80s? I guess it's Blade. <laughs> you know what? And they, cool. <laughs> and, and they watch it and they like it. Yeah, it's great. Like, there's a bit where they're pretending to be Blade. They play Blade yeah. in, in the movie. Blade is not great vampire lore, but then again, neither were the Marvel Dracula comics that the Lost Boys worked in, so who gives a shit? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I love the the I love that this movie understands, and I actually think this movie also seems to have grabbed a certain sort of uh, ensemble aesthetic from Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. It has mm. this great sense of the neighborhood. Yeah, and all the characters who live in it, the yeah. people they the, keep running into, the, the relationships incidental they have, people, yeah. like the there there's a um uh, a young woman who is just she's constantly like live streaming all throughout the neighborhood and she's giving updates on the neighborhood and that's mm-hmm. kind of a framing device for a lot of it that's or kind of beautifully integrated into this thing a lot of really funny side characters um there's a couple of good horror gags i hadn't seen before there's a bit where um uh, someone's uh, vampire grabs someone and they put their hand over a crucifix, mm-hmm. and the crucifix like glows through their hand, like the like the hand was like translucent paper or something. I'm like, you know, I haven't seen that gag before. That's fun. <laughs> There's some fun new mm-hmm. gags in this that are actually uh, and, and I think are are gonna be enjoyable for years mm-hmm. to come. There's a lot of uh, usual vampire movie tropes that feel a little worn, but you know, in, in, can't in come a comforting unless you're invited. That can't come kind of thing. Well, the the thing where uh, nobody believes the kids because vampires yeah. don't photo and they have evidence that yeah. they're vampires and the cops don't believe them. That's always one of the most, more frustrating things about watching a lot of this type of fantasy film is we can't prove it to the adults, so we have to do it ourselves. And I understand that's very empowering for kids, but once or twice I'd love to see a movie where the, they say, there's vampires in the neighborhood and cops say, okay, go go to the, the weapons locker and get our steaks. <laughs> This I is totally... not the first time this has happened. It's one of the things I love about the Monster Squad when they actually like send a letter off to the army saying monsters are in our town and the last scene in the movie, the army shows up too late, but they brought tanks. <laughs> like They're just like, okay, kids, where are the monsters? Oh, we, we they're, they're dead. I'm like, oh, okay. There's a gag like that in Freaked. <laughs> or, uh, the, the army bursts in at the end. Or it was the cops. The cops bust in at the end. Finally, the cops arrived. What took you so long? You were, you did, right, waited to the end of the movie. It's like, well, we get all our information from these tabloids, and we saw your story, so we had to come right here. But first, we had to investigate. And he looks through the tabloid. The case of the house that dripped blood. Ooh, and, like, and they're going through all his pages. <laughs> Uh, but no, this, I, is, I love this, that movie. this is a very witty, mm. smartly characterized, sharp, fun horror movie that, you know, 
maybe not for little kids, but I think it's the kind of thing that, like, it's a great slumber party movie. For sure. I think yeah. if you're an adult who enjoys movies of the Lost Boys, Monster Squad ilk, if you revisit those mm-hmm. movies ever, I think this is definitely a must-watch. And I think for, like, you know, junior high schoolers, teenagers, and above, maybe younger if they, you know, horror movies aren't too scary for them, um, the kids are going to love this. Mm-hmm. This is a really, really excellent Horror comedy. Yeah, I'm would. so glad this is available. It's on Netflix right now. Don't miss it. It's like less than 90 minutes, but it actually feels really dense. Like it doesn't feel short. Like it feels mm. like they really packed a lot of movie into this. Well, I mean, it's just it's just paced well. That's yeah. all. No, I'm uh, just saying. Like it, sometimes you see like a movie that's less than 90 minutes and it feels a little brisk. And here mm. it's like, nope, that's as long as that movie yeah, needs the, to be. The vampire stuff is just scary enough for kids. Yeah. Uh, it's but without you know making it seem violent or raw or real. They're, yeah, it's, they're, not, it's not repugnant or anything. Exactly. It's just kind of scary. Yeah. Lost uh, Boys scary. It, it 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 has a level like just the right level of of fantasy material mm-hmm. where uh, yeah it it the the realness comes from the characters in the neighborhood where they live in and not this cheap way of achieving reality by making the violence extra violent. No, it's not about that. Yeah. The violence is, is muted a bit. It's it's clearly intended to be... I, I'm actually not sure. I assume it's a PG... It is a PG-13, isn't it? I, I, I'm, yeah, well, it's not PG. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a PG-13. And it's a comfortable PG-13. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely, like, 13-year-olds and up mm-hmm. dig this movie. Um, but yeah, if you miss it over the weekend, you obviously have all... Well, your whole life, basically. But you as, know, as long if you're as, for something as, new as long this as it's Halloween, on Netflix, then yeah. you have it. But really. I, if you're looking for something new this Halloween, you look as we, I, you know, I've, I don't think we've had a lot of great horror movies this year. We've had a few, mm. uh, but this is definitely right up there, and I do hope it finds a nice audience because it's it's really quite it's, good. It's just a delight. It's yeah. such a, a pleasant, wonderful movie. Uh, tell me about uh, the new film Save Yourselves, which I missed. Uh, Save Yourselves, uh, not a horror movie. Or oh wait, Save Yourselves is um, it's an alien invasion film. Okay, uh, it's about. Two of the most obnoxious people you've ever met. Uh, they're played by Suni Damani and John Paul Reynolds. They play a, a millennial couple in their 30s who, at the start of the movie, uh, are realize they're looking at their phones too much. They're sitting on the couch together and they're just sort of thumbing through their phones. Like you do. They, like, like they do. Oh, did you hear about X? I just read it on Twitter. And they realize, oh no, we've been looking at our phones too much. So they said, hey, why don't we make out? Instead, they start to make out, they get a buzz, and they just go back to looking at their phones. Hmm. They go to a party, and they, they have really obnoxious conversations about the big plans they have. We should really start an organic garden. I want to become vegetarian again. Uh <laughs> And they're completely earnest about kind of the lives they want to have, but don't because they're just sort of zoned out. Uh, But they do are uh, granted a favor. They're allowed to go stay at a friend's cabin way far away, uh, up in the mountains. They go out and they say they're going to make a deal. They're going to reconnect with the earth, reconnect with each other, and not look at their phones at all. They bring their phones, but they're not going to look at them. Yeah. And of course, they both cheat on that immediately. There's just like constantly sneaking looks at their phones all the time. Uh, they try going on a, a rowboating excursion, but they're not good at that. They try chopping wood, but they're not good at that. Uh, and of course, meanwhile, aliens invade. The aliens look like gigantic tribbles that have like attack tentacles. That sounds amazing, and I love every sentence. I love every part of that sentence. Why, 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 why? When we get alien invasions in our movies, are they not cute? 
Yeah, there, like there every was... once in a while, you think that wouldn't that be a great defense mechanism of like a you know you're being attacked by a giant monster? Like, oh no, they're coming to get. Oh, it's, it's little, got a little face, a little furball. Yeah, oh, it's playing with the lamppost. It's yes. fine. They're they're like in, enlarged triples. They they yeah. see one and they think it's just sort of a decoration in the the <laughs> cabin for a bit. Oh look, there's a thing. Wait, wasn't didn't it used to be over there? Like it's there for a couple of days <laughs> before they even notice it. And then, of course, they, they because they're sneaking looks at their phone, they realize, oh, wait, this is actually a full-scale invasion. Cities are falling, but they're out in the cabin and there's nothing they can do about it. And they say, okay, what do we do? We need to prepare. And they have no idea how to prepare. And about two-thirds of the way through the movie, they have this really sad reckoning, you know, after they've witnessed some violence because some other people are trying to find shelter and these aliens are becoming more plentiful. They just sort of look at each other and say, we don't have any skills, <laughs> they don't know how to do anything. Right. That's the that's um, that's a lot no, of horror is about that, about yeah. how like urban life has not prepared you for an actual yeah, meaningful uh, life or death situation or uh if you hate millennials, boy howdy is this the film for you. <laughs> because this film does not think highly of its protagonists. Uh it the joke is that they have no skills, but it's it's also kind of this sad commentary on the fact that their entire generation doesn't have any skills. They can only have conversations about how they want to be better people and then don't do anything about it uh, because they're so distracted by their phones and their technology. Well, they sound insufferable. And, and they like, are insufferable. But but, in a, but it works, which is a tricky thing mm. to put. I didn't say it, but you're mm. making it sound like it works even though they're insufferable. No, it doesn't work. Oh, uh, it's bad. It's, it's, they, they are insufferable, just period. But no, but my point is that is, is the movie fun to watch hmm. despite or because of their insufferability well, s- or is their insufferability a detriment to the film i'm, I'm gonna say if you hate the characters and you want to see them fail and by extension you kind of hate the whole generation and you want to see their uselessness exemplified in a film then you might be on save yourselves wavelength that's what they're going for I don't know. I don't think it is because oh. they're they're playing all of the scenes as if these characters are hilarious, mm. and their their lack of skills is something kind of bumblingly charming. I get that impression a lot from like a lot of Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, something like That's My Boy, where the whole thing is like he's yeah, this incredibly you're... abusive father, and the the problem isn't that he's an abusive father; it's that his son can't lighten up and appreciate the abuse. Never mind that. Yeah, he's he's a legitimately abusive person. Yeah. And I'm watching this movie, I'm like, this is not funny the way you think it's funny. Yeah. This is just very sad. And it's really frustrating to be so on the outside of a movie for an entire Mm. running time. Um, but, and, and this sounds like that, is that kind of where we're at here? Where like, they think they're cute and they're, they're not, they're just, it, well, I mean, it's not as, as, you know, morally repugnant as, as an Adam Sandler movie where we're supposed to sympathize with an abuser, but we are, not every Adam all, Sandler yeah, movie does that. We're asked to sympathize with people who don't have anything to going for them, right? That they're kind of hateable figures. And I under, I appreciate this idea that we're going to analyze, and it's made by people who are the same age as the characters, so we're going to analyze our own generation and kind of lament the fact that we're ill-prepared for anything. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, there's something just sort of sad about that that the <laughs> film is not addressing. That sucks. Yeah. Okay. So I, I found I found the characters to be so annoying that I couldn't really get on board with the joke. I was just sort of 
annoyed by them. And by the time we get like full bore into the alien stuff, we're like a good 50 minutes into this movie. So we've spent way too much time with them before crunch time happens. And, you know, it's working on a budget. You can't have a full scale alien invasion, but uh, I would have appreciated a little bit more snap to a movie like save yourselves. Well, let's move on. Uh, I saw a new horror film, on Netflix, this is a movie called The Binding, and it is an Italian film. I just want to tell Netflix right off the bat, screw you for assuming I wanted the English dub. <laughs> you can turn it off and hear it in yeah. the original language and watch it with subtitles, but they assumed that I wanted the dub. Mm. And I don't think that should be the baseline. Mm. That always takes me off. But that's neither here nor there. That's not the movie's fault. The movie uh, stars Mia Maestro as... Uh, a, a single mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is getting engaged to a pianist, and he is taking her to the family's Italian villa to meet oh, his no. mom. Uh, it's one of those Italian villa movies. We talked about this with Much Ado mm. About Nothing. <laughs> you know, one of those movies where, like, the whole point is we go to an Italian villa, and don't you wish you were their audience? Because all we're doing is hanging out in the sun, eating grapes and olives. And having sex. Like, that's all we're doing. It's great. Don't you wish we were here mm. in Call Me By Your Name or Much Ado <laughs> yeah, About Nothing say, or me, Under the Tuscan Sun? I feel like Call Me By Your Name kind of hit peak Italian villa. I, I, it feels mostly like a travel log to me. And mm. that, that's not necessarily to the film's detriment, but it feels like that's what they're really doing a lot mm. of the time. Um, the Binding is that, except it's supposed to be scary. Uh Turns out that... Like, uh, like, the luxury is supposed to be scary? No, that would be interesting if they'd gone there. But no, it turns out this is just sort of an isolated Italian community and folklore and um, sort of uh, practical home witchcraft is still par for the course uh, throughout the entire community. And this obviously throws an urbanite like Mia Maestro completely off her game. She's starting to get uncomfortable with her soon-to-be mother-in-law, like, doing weird chants and spells over her daughter in the kitchen or whatever. And, yeah, that would probably be weird. Here's a woman who is clearly um, very secular. And so we're trying to raise anxiety about that. It is every single horror movie about someone going to meet someone's parents, and it's weird. And then... The little girl is bitten by a tarantula, but Uh it's not any tarantula. It's a supernatural tarantula. And now she is Mm. bound to a demonic spirit and she is basically cursed. She's not really possessed, although it's it's basically a similar genre. Mm. She's cursed and it's up to the mom to get over her bullshit and start believing in order to uncover why this family has this weird supernatural baggage and how to save her daughter uh, from the monstrous presence. Mm. Um, I have a theory and I have been promoting this theory for a while. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you might've heard me talk about it. Uh, I've been talking about my concept of the four star, three star movie. Okay. And just as a baseline, a four star, three star movie is a movie that by its DNA is only trying to be three stars. Like, it it doesn't have lofty artistic ambitions. But because it is so beautifully well made, this three-star movie feels like a four-star movie. Because it's just, yeah, it might not ever be, like, profound, but it could never be better than what it is. Okay. 
It's better filmmaking than the material warrants. That's a little judgier than I would like, but All like right. it's 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 generally genre pulpy material, but it's made so well that it just feels a little transcendent, even mm. though it's trying not to be transcendent. Okay. Watching the binding made me realize, like, solidify for the first time that there was also a two star, three star movie, because this movie is very like beautifully photographed, well acted. The plot makes sense. It works. It's structured well. And yet, it, like, n- evokes nothing. Hmm. It just... It, it, it looks better than it is. It looks like a three-star movie, but that's just hiding the, the fact that this is actually a very rote, formulaic tale that ultimately doesn't really explore the ideas that it raises, even on a... Even on the most superficial of horror levels, really. Mm. Because, again, we're looking at a story about someone who is uh, uh, immersing themselves in a culture and community that they are unfamiliar with. And yet, there's very little immersion. It's mm. uh, We're not really creating a strong contrast between um, ideologies. We're not really... Once we find out like the actual nature of the demon, it raises a lot of questions about uh, women's agency in this community and... Uh, her fiance's culpability in some really bad things that have happened doesn't actually want to explore any of that. In fact, mm. by the time the big conclusion happens, and it's functionally an exorcism, but it's more like trying to lift a curse, but it's a big ritual like an exorcism, right. um, you realize that they're they don't really have a lot of juice left in the tank, and they start actually like dropping out the lights darker and darker and darker until you can't see what's going on until you realize that if we saw what was going on it just wouldn't be interesting and then you realize that it's still not interesting (laughs) it's just trying to make it look interesting Mm -hmm. we're trying to hide banality behind style and that's very frustrating because clearly it's made by people who know how to make a movie and yet you feel nothing and Boy, does that feel like a waste of time. Yeah. So, sometimes the style can become sort of the purpose. But the style has uh, to really pop. Yeah, I was for about to, to say, it case, has to be like know? a like re, like a unique style. Like, look at Speed Racer, for example. That's a very superficial story in a lot of ways. There's some, there's some there's sweet, like, genuine moments in it, but it's, it's mostly... Deliberately superficial. But yeah, it's they, deliberately yeah, it's, superficial. And the whole mm. point is that the style is carrying it. And the style is like Willy Wonka on acid. And <laughs> that's a great style. You mm. can't miss that style. But here it's just like, it's a pretty good looking horror movie. Mm. That's not going to compensate for a like a functional, like, you know, like you could like set your watch to this movie, but your watch doesn't generally tell good stories, does it? <laughs> and that's kind of what this is doing. It feels like it's going through the motions. There aren't any, the, the scares are pretty conventional, unremarkable. Um, and the, it's attempt to connect to us and frighten us mm. on a base level are hindered by the fact that it doesn't really feel like the people making it had any meaningful observations about what unsettles us. It feels like they just had a good structure and shot the film. So again, it's not the worst thing ever by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, in spite of the fact that it is well-produced, it's extremely underwhelming. And Mm. boy, is that a bummer. And it is so hard to talk about movies that are just kind of okay. That's, like it, um, it, it yeah. really is, and I think this, this like two star, three star idea. I think we're gonna be able to use that a lot <laughs> because there's a lot of movies out there that are perfectly competently presented, 
but who gives a shit? Yeah. And yeah. in a year, you will forget you ever saw it, if if not less. Like so, I, I look, I, I keep a list of every single film I see right. I, every, yeah. uh, throughout the year, like new releases. And every once in a while, I look back over those films that I'm looking for, like people looking for recommendations or what, things. Wait, and, what was that again? Yeah, so, yeah. So every, you have to look up, even though you saw it three months ago. Yeah, there there are movies on the list. Like, I, and I do, used to do this every single year, like halfway, like mm. no, like nine months into a year, I would be like, and now presenting the list of films that I forgot I saw <laughs> this year. They're all new releases. <laughs> And it's... Let me see if I can do it right now, actually. I'm curious. <laughs> you have your list in front of you. I'm curious. Like, if they're just movies where the title is like, what, well, what did I see? Th- this has been such a, a tumultuous year in general that I'm Beneath having... Us. No, I don't even remember it. What is Beneath Us? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who the hell knows? I don't remember seeing a movie called Beneath Us. I'm sure I did. I know I reviewed it. It was a whole thing. It's gone now. Chemical Hearts, I only remember that because oh, Amazon Prime showed me a trailer for that in front of something. Yeah, the, but when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I, saw that, I saw that same preview. I was like, oh, I saw that. What was it called? Mm-hmm. It's like I saw this last month. It, it wasn't that long ago. No, it's just gone now. Yeah. And it's not, it's not even the, all that negative. It's just gone now. Yeah. You know? So uh, and some say, oh well, that's you know that's the sign of a terrible movie if you don't remember it. Not necessarily. No, competence is way yeah. more forgettable than bad. Yeah, it, I, it, I remember be... the bad shit I see. And sometimes you can rewatch one of those competent movies and actually see a lot in it you didn't see the first time. Mm-hmm. So uh, and it's, sometimes it's... And again, they're not terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're terrible at all. Yeah, not thinking yeah. about Chemical Hearts. It's I like... just remember what Beneath Us was. Beneath Us was that uh, horror movie about, um, um. Uh, undocumented uh, uh, immigrants uh, who work for a white family to like build their shed, but then the mm. white family starts getting really abusive and violent to them, and they oh, realize gosh. they're never going to be allowed to leave. Lynn Collins is really good in it, but other Ooh, than like that, Lynn it's Collins. and then the concept is strong, mm. but it's it's not amazing. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I had I had to jog my memory on that one. It's just kind of gone. Did you realize it was this year where we saw Robert Downey Jr. pull a bagpipe out of a farting dragon's ass? Do you realize that's still in the top ten highest grossing films of the year? <laughs> Hang on to that distinction, Doolittle. It's the only thing you have going for you because you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, I think I remember even, like, giving a recommendation to Beneath Us. Like, it's a watchable film. It's yeah. just, it didn't stick. All right. That happens. What are you going to do? Anyway, I didn't mean to... to jump on beneath us and some (laughs) the movie barely got noticed in the first place why make it worse but like it's it's fine it's it's a good movie link collins is really creepy in it but like i'm probably not gonna put it on any best of lists this Mm -hmm. year um tell me about eternal beauty eternal and why is that the perfect way to describe yourself Oh, you're so sweet. Because you're very, you're very beautiful oh, as a person. No, pish. And you always I've, will be. I've been working out. Look at these guns. Um, oh, oh no. My my sister got me some kettle weights, and you know we're trapped inside. So like a lot of people, I've been getting on like the fitness kick. Mm. So now I have like muscles where I never had them before. Oh, see, I've just been snacking. Well, I've been doing that too. Yeah, so it's kind of kind of yeah. been balancing out a little bit. <laughs> Uh, Eternal Beauty is the latest film from Craig Roberts, who did uh, Submarine. Okay, I remember that. Uh, movie, if you yeah. remember that film, uh, uh, this time he's made a, a drama film about Sally Hawkins, who plays a woman who's uh, struggling with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. She uh, hallucinates things. She hallucinates like phones ringing. Uh, she has this weird. Uh, sense that her family is out to get her. She doesn't really understand why. 
And as it turns out, her family is kind of out to get her. She lives in this really kind of buttoned-down, super British family uh, who really kind of resents that she's been a trouble to them. Mm. And so they've not done a lot to help her. And uh, we actually get to see in flashbacks sort of how she's been pushed into a really bad place in her life by the abuse she suffered at the hands of her family. Uh, uh, For instance, when she got married, the groom stood her up and her mother just turned to her and said, this embarrasses me. Not, you know, not offering no sympathy. So she's, she's just sort of emotionally broken. She had an ambition when she was younger, had an ambition to be a beauty queen. And because she was unable to really sort of speak in front of a crowd. She was just sort of beset by the the noises. Uh, she was replaced at the last minute by her younger sister, who start who won all of the beauty pageant stuff, and she was just made to feel really humiliated and inferior to her sister. Uh, they grow up. She's played by Sally Hawkins. Her sister is played by Billy Piper. Uh, Mom is played by hardworking British actress uh, uh, Alice Lowe. Oh, okay. Or not Alice Lowe, um, uh, 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 Penelope Wilton plays Oh, one. yeah, Alice, Penelope Wilton's yeah, amazing. Sorry, Penelope Wilton is, is freaking great. She's, yeah. You've seen her in everything. Alice Lowe is also awesome. I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan as well. She did a really good um, uh, horror comedy a couple of years ago called Prevenge. Uh, oh, I didn't it, see that. Yeah, yeah, she played a pregnant woman. She was actually pregnant at the time when mm-hmm. she wrote, starred in, and directed it. Uh, who was, like, her unborn child was telling her to kill, and so she did. Um, it's it's a little you know rough around the edges, but it, she's so good in it. It's really she's great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah, Penelope Wilton plays the mom, the, yeah. the abusive mom, and she's great. And Sally Hawkins in the lead is great because she's, she's Sally great. Hawkins. Yeah, she's one of our. She's one of the most underappreciated actors. She's like well, everyone she's, knows she's always amazing. She's got a couple of Oscar nominations to yeah. her credit, but for whatever reason, when we talk about like the great actors of our mm. time, I don't hear her name come up often enough. She's amazing. Yeah, and. Uh, I she made a film. She was actually made several films with Mike Lee, but she made a film with Mike Lee called Happy Go Lucky. Yeah, I haven't seen this one. I heard it's amazing. And uh, evidently, it was based on Sally Hawkins. Like mm. they got together and decided to invent a character that was a lot like her. And oh. the story was about somebody who is so just scrupulously optimistic all the time that there wasn't a lot of big drama in her life. The big drama is she occasionally got in a cab with a complete misanthrope, and they argued a little bit. And the, and the misanthrope is played by Eddie Marsan. So, oh. you know, good chemistry between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, Eddie, probably Eddie Marsan's best performance, too. Wow. Uh, so the fact that she's so bubbly in real life, that she doesn't seem to have, like, a broody side to her, might keep her out of our minds when we're thinking about big, serious actresses. Mm. Uh, here she's playing actually a very intense role and she's always uh, completely on edge. We kind of drift in and out of her perspective. So sometimes we hear her her hallucinations and sometimes not. Uh, there's a scene where they go to a Halloween party and you know, all of her anxieties are being triggered and she's really freaking out and she starts uh, showing a 12 year old boy around and she opens up the fridge and it's full of like bloodied body parts. And we're not sure if that's a Halloween decoration of some kind right. or if this is like just Something horrible. So, something like oh, like she's perceiving something horrible in that fridge and she's getting all of this anxiety. Uh, she gets a few breaks here and there. She has a romance with David Thewlis. Nice. Always a pleasure when David Thewlis shows up Great in the actor. movie. Uh, and he, they meet at a, a, a psychiatrist's office because he's also schizophrenic and they start to link up in a certain way. But 
even though her life starts to look like it's about to turn around, she's always stomped back down by her horrible family. Uh, The movie is just about how she has to traverse her bad situation. And there's a lot of comedy to be had here. There's a lot of like awkward humor that actually works. Uh, For the most part, it's quite a downer. It's I'm seeing it described around as a, like a, a, a dark comedy. It's more of a family drama with some comic elements in it. It's yeah. a dark comedy in the way an English person might describe a dark <laughs> comedy. Uh, not to dump on the English, but you know, there's there's a, a certain kind of British aesthetic that is particularly dour. Mm. To go back to Mike Lee, you know, films like Naked. Yeah, there's definitely um, a very particular audience mm. for that over there. Yeah. Uh, Sally Hawkins is really really great. I feel like it's not doing full service to schizophrenia, which we've recently discussed on this podcast. It's something a... movies get wrong a lot. Yeah. And I feel like this is movie schizophrenia. Sally Hawkins is really, really great, but I feel like we're reaching a point where these type of psychological issues are audiences are beginning to ma- to demand a lot more uh, accuracy. Well, I think it, we're at a point now where a lot of mental health issues are starting to get destigmatized and people are more comfortable mm. addressing them in public, it's talking just, about them. Yeah. People are getting more informed about them and be, are more aware of people that they know who are uh, living with various mental mm. health issues. And as a result, a lot more people are familiar with what it actually looks like. Mm. And as a result, the movie version no longer plays yeah. and it's easier to, or maybe that's not the right word we're more likely to reject it without even thinking about it because right. we don't recognize that as an actual mm. reality whereas previously a lot of filmmakers were counting on well you know you don't know what this is all about but mm. we're going to tell a story about it and therefore we're allowed to take some yeah. liberties uh no, no there, you're not actually there's a line of dialogue uh about schizophrenia in this film that uh will not sit well with people with schizophrenia where she says, I'm a paranoid schizophrenic, which means I think you're going to kill me, not a regular schizophrenic, which means I'm going to kill you. It's like, no, that's, that's, that's misinformation we get from movies that schizophrenics are people like Michael Myers who are just going to slash you to pieces. Yeah. No, that's, that's that's not the way schizophrenia operates. So it's a really good performance of an already, already dated or in the current state of being dated version of schizophrenia. Um, So I I appreciate these movies if they're going to call attention to something that people aren't paying attention to, even if they're not accurate, because at least it's getting some exposure. But at the same time, we deserve more than an inaccurate version. Well, it's not a a matter of what we Mm. deserve. I think the the audiences Mm. need to have better representation uh, of real life issues when they are addressed in real life ways, or mm. even just when they're done incidentally, because if there are people in the audience who are not familiar with issues or, or life experiences, uh, and all they see is a movie like this, mm. then they're liable not to question it. Yeah, and they just sort of internalize mm. that. And then when they find out it's different, it's actually harder to mm. sort of break through what is a sort These of a general mis- understanding. Yeah. And listen, we know it's fiction, but it's also sometimes the, all the information we're given. It, if we see a movie young enough or we don't do any ancillary the, reading. At the very least, it is incredibly sympathetic to to the Sally Hawkins character. Well, there's that at least. Yeah. That's it's it, it's sympathetic. It is about her struggles and how abuse has exacerbated her ability to cope 
in this world. Okay. Uh, well, uh, so so well, let's just review the movies. Let's mm-hmm. make it clear here. So uh, we review movies and critically acclaimed on a scale of C minus to C plus, where most movies are a C that is an average movie. <laughs> Some movies are above average. We give those a C plus. That's everything from we generally recommend it to the best movie ever made. Some movies are below average. That's a C minus. And that's everything from we generally don't recommend it to the worst movie ever made. And then one time we gave a D plus to Cats, but that was mostly a joke. Uh, on a scale of C minus to C plus, uh, where does Eternal Beauty land? It's a high C. Okay. Uh, it, it's not sort of the emotional bomb that I kind of wish it was. But it's never a bad thing if you're going to get Sally Hawkins and David Thewlis and mm. some really talented uh, British actors in a movie together to make a really kind of, uh, not dour, kind of a uh, downbeat movie about a serious topic. Uh, For The Binding, currently available on Netflix, uh, this is a movie that walks and talks like a C, but is actually a C-. minus. It's it's not awful, Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly if like someone was like, hey, let's watch The Binding, like you can get through it, but you're not going to get anything super meaningful out of it, I don't think, and in the end, uh, even the you know efficient storytelling is kind of just going through the motions. Um, it's just not much of a horror film, and that's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about Save Yourselves. Save, your, Save Yourselves is a C minus. Oh, this this one was just a, a shrill, obnoxious film. I, I see the the leads maybe going on to doing some some more interesting stuff, but mm-hmm. no, this didn't <laughs> didn't really get any laughter out of me. I was just annoyed. All right. And then, uh, lastly, vampires versus the Bronx. This gets a big old C plus. Yeah, but this is a this is a big winner. Uh, this is one to see. This is one that needs to make its way into, like you said, a slumber party rotation of some yeah. some sort. This is yeah. something. This is going to be someone's favorite movie. It's, growing it's up, like it's yeah, it's a little scary, but kids can watch yeah. it. I think it's you know, a I still remember, great like, film for like nine or ten year olds. I, I remember growing up and renting back when we had more video stores like Monster Squad and Lost Boys over and over and over again. And I have mm-hmm. a feeling that this is going to be that movie for a certain group of young horror enthusiasts or soon to be horror enthusiasts. I think it speaks the right language. I think it's very well crafted. It's very funny. It's very mm. sweet. It's kind of scary. It's really cool. Please go see it. All right. And that is it for the new releases this week. Uh, every week we also like to do, while theaters are closed down, uh, and we're going to take this opportunity since we're launching everything on streaming to explore what else is on streaming. <laughs> uh, Whitney and I are both professional critics. We've seen a ton of movies, but nobody has seen everything. And if you look hard enough at any streaming service, you're bound to find at least a handful of at least somewhat noteworthy films that one or both of us have just not gotten around to yet. And we invite our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network to vote every week for the film that we are going to watch. Every film is one that at least one of us has never seen. This week's uh, uh, films were horror movies on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming service which has uh, some of the stranger, more esoteric, culty, grindhousey, pulpy, older films that no other streaming service has or gives a damn about. And uh, because Whitney hadn't seen Train to Busan, he put that on there, so instead we're reviewing that. 
It is yeah, a 2016 you, zombie movie that a lot have, of people have been talking about. You guys could have chosen something schlocky. You go with the pop. Hey, line, you're the, the one who put it on the list. That's true. It's, and it, I had it's seen a, Train to Busan. Yeah. I was surprised that you hadn't. Uh, so let's talk about Train to Busan. Uh, Train to Busan is a, is a South Korean movie. It's a zombie movie. Uh, and it's a zombie movie until <laughs> the end where it becomes interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, Ouch. It has a lot of the same, like, similar zombie movie tropes. Uh, it's... Uh, the main character is ostensibly sort of a deadbeat dad, doesn't understand his kid that much, uh, buys his kid a Nintendo, even though she already has one. Yeah, he's like, uh, and, it's, her, it's my, he says it's my, it's it's like in Liar Liar when, like, mm. he asks his, like, personal assistant to buy his son, like, toys like, and or he does, whatever. And he doesn't even know what's in the yeah. gift when yeah. his kid's opening and, it. And, and here he's like, what do kids like? I don't know, they like Wii's. So he gets the kid a Nintendo Wii, mm. and the kid doesn't look excited. He's like, well, you don't like it? And the kid, like, looks across the room mm. at the last Nintendo Wii he got, no, yeah. she got from her, from yeah. her dad. And he's just like, oh, I could buy something yeah. else, I guess. And, like, that's the kind of dad yeah. I am, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so, um... What she really wants is to visit, is it her grandmother, uh, or is it her mom? It's her mom. She wants to visit her mom in, in a faraway city so they get to take a train trip together, father-daughter trip. Uh, so this this uh, deadbeat dad and his young daughter, who's only like eight, uh, yeah, they, get on, kid, yeah. they, they get on the train together and right when there's a zombie outbreak. Like, yeah. in, in the midst of a zombie outbreak. Yeah, they're and, driving there, and, and there's a few of the telltale warning signs, like buildings on fire, mm. cops running off in every like, direction. Well, what's, but what's going on over there? But Let's it, get on like, our train. Society hasn't collapsed yet. It will in, like, less than an hour, but mm. that's plenty of time for them to get on a train mm. without realizing what's going down. Uh, here are the rules of zombies in this universe. Uh, they bite you. Uh, they don't. They just sort of, like, start chewing on you a little bit, but they don't really eat you. Yeah, they're not like uh, they're not like consuming your corpse. Yeah, they, they just want to bite you. They just want to bite you and you turn into a zombie real fast, like within like eight a to ten mi- minutes. Oh, and, if, and, if and, that, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Just just like a few minutes, you're a zombie too. And also th- but you, they go like partially blind, so they can't see you in the dark. Yeah, you turn off mm. the lights, they get really confused. They're mm. also uh they have very low short term memory. So like if you're like behind a window and you Boy, and you like put, put paper up all over the window. They, they forget, forget you're, you're there. there, and they stop attacking. So yeah. like that's that's pretty convenient. Yeah. They have good sense of hearing, so you can like throw things across the room, and they'll like run across that. But um, uh, so yeah, the, every monster are, movie you have to establish yeah. these are the monster rules we're going to follow. These rules are these are pretty standard zombie yeah, rules. These rules are important because it's uh, they're the setup for a series of action set pieces that take place on this train, where like it seems like every other car has become infected. Uh, the survivors are gathering in one car and they have to like throughout the course of the film yeah. travel through uh, hordes of zombies, sometimes sneaking through, sometimes fighting their way to get to other survivors that are yeah. on the train. Yeah, the train is constantly moving. It stops a couple of times. Every time it stops, it's a really bad yeah, the, fucking idea. Yeah, the, oh, let's stop the train and get out. Oh, look, there's zombies here. Whoops, we lost three more cast members back on the train. Yep, and uh, and then they end up getting divided and they have to go. And the train's really, really long and there's a bunch of different cars and sliding doors and things and crawling through luggage racks and it's the kind of thing where, ultimately, Train to Busan is... Mm. And I apologize if I'm pronouncing that right. I, I, I believe it is Busan. But okay, yeah. Train to Busan. Mm. Um, it's basically, hey, let's do a zombie movie on a train. That's it. Like, mm. that's that's the pitch. There's Zomb- other stuff on a train. There's yeah. other stuff in it, and we'll talk about that. But the elevator pitch is zombies on a train. And the idea is we're going to take the idea of zombies on a train and we're going to come up with every gag we can come up with. Hmm. Like every single thing we can think to do on a train, very specifically, 
that we couldn't do in any other movie, we're going to do in Train to Busan. And to the movie's credit, this is really spectacularly photographed. They get a good sense mm-hmm. of uh, the enormity of a zombie horde, even when it's just in a really cramped like train car. Like there's this sense of like a tidal wave of zombies that's always after you. That's very scary. The zombies themselves are presented in that kind of um, uh, sort of uh, contortionist kind of way where they're constantly like moving their bodies in really unnatural positions and it's uncomfortable to look at because you know that like if there's no way that can be comfy, like their mm-hmm. zombies are clearly messed up. Like there's that's not cool. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just one big giant set piece after another and they're all splendidly crafted. That's really amazing. Train to Busan also wants to be about stuff. And there's two things that it's about, mm-hmm. as near as I can tell, that are like deep, big on a, on a deeper level. Uh, you already mentioned the Deadbeat Dad story. Yeah. This I was watching this movie again. Mm-hmm. And, and I like this movie a lot. But it's also a movie I don't revisit a lot because ultimately I find it very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool. Like it's, it's a good watch. But... I don't find a lot of depth in it. Like I don't like yeah, as like I the, re-explore the, it, I don't see yeah, the, new layers. Like the, the the deadbeat dad thing is explored pretty deeply in that yeah. not not only is he a deadbeat dad who has to protect his daughter, but he's presented with another uh, character, a father to be, who is uh, just far more capable a human being. Yeah, and more decent yeah, a human yeah, being. He's, he's, he's not going to close the door on somebody just because the zombies are right behind them. He's trying to save everybody. Yeah. Uh, he's his proximity he, he to loves, a good dad adjusts yeah. our, our hero. Yeah. Uh, our hero, on the other hand, is a real piece of shit. Like mm-hmm. he, we also find out at the beginning of the movie that uh, when the like the day before the zombie outbreak, when things are starting to go wrong, mm-hmm. he yeah. is presented with, "Hey, there's a whole bunch of red flags, and it's probably a zombie outbreak or something." And he's just like, "All right, sell stock." Like that's it. Like yeah. that's his only thought is how do we profit he's off a, of this? He's a businessman. He he's very much Jim Carrey and Liar Liar or, or any number of deadbeat dads from Hollywood. Tim movies. Allen, anything Tim mm-hmm. Allen did in the '90s where he's a bad dad. But then something magical or fantastical or extraordinary happens. Mm. And in the end, he's a better dad. But here's the thing. So, and so this, Adam Sandler has a whole bunch of those. Adam Sandler's done more. Ever since, he started getting old enough movies, to, yeah. ever since he started getting old enough to play dads, he's been doing that. Like mm. Big Daddy was one of those. Like, here's the, here, here's the thing, though. And it's the sort of thing that a lighthearted family movie can usually get away with more easily because the tone is more family friendly and reassuring. Mm. Um, what we're seeing in this movie is here is a dad who is not emotionally present for his child. Yeah. He is not there in her life. We see at the beginning, he has missed important like days in her life and he's done it because he is working and ostensibly he is providing for her, but to what end he's not making her happy. So he is really not a good father. Mm. Over the course of the film, he gets an opportunity to, prove himself to better himself to become a more moral paternal caring person as more self-sacrificing person but it's only when the shit hits the fan when, when it kind of has to yeah, it's yeah. only when like it's a life or death situation and i equate this to darth vader who has he's <laughs> oh, been an he's, absentee he's, dad he's, he's such a horrible person that his redemption isn't big enough to make up yeah. for the fact that he's a horrible person and, and listen it's a horror movie so he doesn't need to be perfectly redeemed this isn't daddy daycare or some shit like mm. he doesn't need that but ultimately it it rings a little hollow for me because i feel as though although he may have come to a bit of a catharsis and feel like he's 
become a better person. Mm-hmm. All he really did was step up to one challenge. Now, that's not an insignificant challenge, mm. and I'm not trying to take that away from him. He does some things that I probably couldn't do, if only because I have a bad knee. Also, my neck hurts. But <laughs> beyond that... <laughs> healing, healing vibes all over you, dude. You. But, like, but beyond that, every time I see a zombie movie, I think to myself, well, I can't sprint anymore, so I'm dead. <laughs> I hope there are other characters I like, mm. because I cannot project myself into this mm. narrative. So it ultimately, it just feels like a deadbeat dad movie with a zombie thing. And the mm. zombie thing is cool. The deadbeat dad thing is okay. There, there's some fun, and they do some innovative things with the zombie stuff. Oh, like there's there, cool there's, zombie stuff in this There's movie, a, yeah. a really wonderful scene where they have to lock a bunch of zombies behind this like bank of glass doors. Mm-hmm. And it takes them so long to like shut the door and lock it while more and more zombies are pushing on it that by the time they run away enough zombies have accumulated that they break through and they just spill out like a flood. Yeah. Uh, there, there's also a great scene near the end where a train is, is uh, rolling down the tracks and a bunch of zombies just start clinging on to it and then each other, yeah. leaving this big trail of zombies behind. So there's, there's a some lot of fun, great gags. fun physical stuff with the zombies. And, and we use the word gag, not in a derogatory term. Like, mm. Gag is a term that a lot of people mm. in the industry use to describe what's a fun thing we mm. can do that people haven't done with this mm. concept before. Well, like can, what's a cool say, vampire gag we can if, do? Yeah, like, if you, you want know. to sound intellectual, you can say Lazzi, like in Commedia dell'arte. There you um, go. But, uh, but you're right. All of that incidental zombie stuff is super cool. Although one thing I was noticing when I was watching it is um, a lot of the doors in this movie are glass. Mm. And whether or not they will break under the weight of dozens or hundreds of zombies is entirely dependent upon whether it's convenient to the plot. <laughs> like that's, it's yeah, entirely dependent on that. Some you can break through really easily. Some you can. It's so. all a matter of when it's cool. And you know what? That's part and parcel well, of the genre. I, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm okay. But with it was that. fun to watch. Here, here's my issue with this film and uh, it, this film, and but also zombie movies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a a lot of. I have a really hard time growing attached to any of these characters because I know they're zombie food. Like, it's mm-hmm. not until these movies get down to the end and there's only a few survivors left mm-hmm. where I kind of get to see, okay, now there's actually something at stake because there's, like, maybe two or three people. These are the people that who those, are Those are the it, people yeah. who might make it, and now that I think yeah. they might make it, I have something invested. They're not a straight plot point. They're not a murder waiting to when there's a Yeah, when there's a gigantic car full of people and, like, four of them die and everybody starts to cry, oh, I'm so sad, it's like... I want to snap my fingers, pick up the pace. Look, it's <laughs> it's sad, I know, for you in the movie, yes, but I'm out here in the audience thinking, of course there's zombie food. There are people going to die. Just speed through that part. Zombie movies are often so efficiently constructed uh-huh. that that kind of, like, attachments to characters is at best academic for mm. at the very least 90% of even the best zombie movie it's, cast. It's, uh, there's yeah. a few exceptions here and there. Um, I would say like Day of the Dead actually has a really wonderful uh, uh, cast. Even the people who are assholes, I fully believe them. Mm. But like most of them, no. Most of them, it's a collection of people who are going to die. It's, it's kind of odd that the exception to all of, of all of these cliches was the original zombie film, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Like actually bothered to establish all of this stuff. It is the one proud of... The, the way to do it right. Well, I mean, but that's these the one movies, where they, they, uh, it wasn't a genre yet. They had to prove, yeah. they had to, we can take for granted a lot of stuff in the zombie genre now because we just understand zombies the way mm. we understand vampires. Like you, at some point in the film, you need to establish the specific parameters or rules of how the monster works in this particular story. But beyond that, we totally, we're here. You told us it's a zombie movie. That's why we're here. 
Mm. So we're going to forgive you a lot. Night of the Living Dead didn't have that luxury. It had to prove it worked yeah. and had to do that with strong characterization. But I, Here I feel they're like, trying, but yeah. like so many of the characters are just one basic plot point or character beat. And so many of them kind of only exist to, you're right, either be zombie food or to prove a very simplistic point. There's mm. one other guy on the train who is like also one... like the dad, a businessman. Hmm. Yeah, they're either they they either have to be heroes or cowards. Yeah, and if they prove that role either through noble sacrifice or uh, sniveling betrayal, yeah, uh, is only like yeah these minor plot points on the way yeah. to illustrate the same point that every zombie uh, film illustrates that when the chips are down, mm. you're gonna be one or the other. And here's a guy who you know, and, and this is this is something I find is true in zombie movies or any sort of horror movie where. The rules of civilization have broken down. They're irrelevant now. Mm. And there's always one or two people who cling to middle management. Like, you don't <laughs> understand. I was an executive. Mm. Therefore, I should be in charge. And I'm like, you were in accounting. Okay, that's not going to help us fight a zombie horde right now. You're back down at the bottom rung with every single one of us. We're all at the bottom of the food chain now. You need to stop pretending you're in charge because mm. you actually don't have anything to offer. And that's something that, you know, basically like... If you're ever in a zombie apocalypse, look for the guy who was in middle management and keep an eye on him because mm. he's going to be the guy who's like ego can't take it anymore and will get everyone killed because he's mm. a dick. And this guy is one of the ultimate zombie movie dicks because not <laughs> only does he like freak out and do, do everything he can to barricade doors so that survivors can't get in because what if they're infected? Who knows? Mm. But like towards the end of the movie... When he's running from zombies and other people run up to him to save him, he grabs them, throws them into the zombies to buy himself more time, mm. and keeps running. And boy, is that evil as fuck. It's like, what evil. A, what and, an asshole. Well, and it, it's especially frustrating with this guy because we and the characters have already seen the way the rules of the zombie, these zombies are. Yeah. Like, they know the way these zombies operate. They've seen the way they they can be blinded with papers. They've seen that they can bite and they somebody turns into zombies immediately. And he starts uh, yelling about how the, like people who are uninfected uh -huh. get into the train car and say, we need to kill them because they could be infected. And I'm like, they've so, been here for five minutes. They're so, not. They clearly haven't changed yet. You've seen the way this works. Everybody has agreed the way this works. Your paranoia mm -hmm. is just stupidity. And, and listen, there's panic. There's mob mentality. These mm -hmm. are things that actually happen in extreme situations. But... Sometimes movies pull that off more convincingly than others, and here, so many of the characters are non-characters that, again, we're kind of taking it at face value. The movie invites us to take it at face value, mm. but then the movie also wants to get kind of philosophical. Because, in addition to being a deadbeat dad, we're also telling a story about how this guy is telling his child, Why, why were you just nice to people? You gave up your seat for an old lady. Mm. The chips are down. We have to look out for ourselves. And his daughter is just like, but that's stupid and evil. That's a mean thing to do, yeah. Dad. And, and he, and I'm, he gradually, I'm seven, and I know that already. And ultimately, he ends up realizing that his life of selfishness is very hollow and that he needs to be more self-sacrificing and put more care into people. Hmm. Which, again, would ring a little truer if the movie took place over a longer span of time and we could see that actually settle in. But... And indeed, there needs to actually like be an actual fight between him and the really selfish guy later on just to hammer this home. It's good screenwriting structure, but it's also a little perfunctory, and I don't think we really needed it. Um, 
but yeah, ultimately, like we're we've got a deadbeat dad story. That's one. That's theme mm. one, and theme two is selfishness is bad, and um, it is. Uh, yeah, you're not, not you're you're not you're not you're not gonna like blow anyone's mind with that. I'm, but... I'm not I'm not arguing either point, but at the same time, that's not a new point to make. Uh, this yeah. is this is. I have a son in kindergarten. This is the kind of thing he talks about with his teachers in yeah. kindergarten. No, I don't mean to, I don't mean to, to really denigrate Train to Busan. Train to Busan's pretty kick-ass oh, as a it's, standard it's, horror movie yeah, thing. It's, like it's it's, it's, it's very well made film. It's it's incredibly slick. It has great production design. It's mm-hmm. got you know clearly a big budget and expansive mm-hmm. point of view. It's not yeah. just in that train. There's actually a lot of much larger set pieces. There's a really wonderful scene near the end where a train tips over almost onto some characters, yeah. and we get to see the perspective of them hiding underneath this collapsing train. It feels very much like a Universal Studios tour yeah. set piece, like a big, uh, in, in, big disaster movie. Yeah, set but piece, but yeah. but in a, a really positive way yeah there's all this fun like visual stuff with the zombies they really thought of how big a zombie horde would be it's not just like 30 extras running around yeah they like actually used a lot of uh, really slick special effects to expand the crowds it it looks like they were inspired by world war z i was gonna say it's human towers it's actually it looks better than world war z I i think world war z uh got a little too carried away with its digital effects mm-hmm. so it looks kind of fakey yeah like it was too expansive well the, the scale uh, of it was a little so bit more, huge yeah. in world war z that it, you start you kind of lose sense of perspective like mm, i see how big it is but i also don't see me in there yeah it's and like, we're starting which is why okay, the best uh, part of that movie a, is the end when it's just brad pitt in a room with a zombie like that, that's it that's my favorite thing about world yeah. war z is that it starts at its biggest and ends at its smallest yeah. it's, it's not the other way around it's pretty cool uh, Train to Busan, uh, yeah, does is a slick, entertaining, a uh, lot of fun action set pieces kind of zombie flick. But yeah, it is it all it is all just surface. It kind of fascinates me that this has become such a modern classic. Like people just, I've heard people just like falling over themselves mm. talking about how amazing this movie is. When I feel like ultimately what it is doing is it is doing what a lot of great horror movies do, admittedly. Is just uh, let's do what we've done before. We'll add like one new little wrinkle, and we'll just do it really well. Hmm. It's almost like The Conjuring, you know, like where The Conjuring <laughs> is, a, is a movie about exorcisms, just ghosts a haunt, in the a haunting house. story. It's a yeah. haunting story. It doesn't really break the mold. There's a couple of nifty bits in there, like we haven't really seen like a husband and wife exorcist team, and they're kind of wholesome. That's new, but everything else is stuff that we've largely seen before. It's just done really well, isn't it? Mm. And that's how I feel about Train to Busan. I don't feel like this is a movie that gets at profundity the way that many of the great horror movies do. Mm. Um, like The Exorcist or well, even Get I, Out if you want to go to something more recent. But I feel like it is just telling we're going to do a big, mm. exciting zombie movie. We're going to shoot the shit out of it. It's going to be really well made. It's going to feel like it's about stuff, but that's not really why we're here. Yeah, and we're just going to have a lot of fun. And on that level, it kicks ass. It's, it's going to be really profound. Uh, this is the kind of film I probably would have liked a lot more if I saw it when I was like 17. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I would argue that it's not a horror movie. I would argue that it's an action film. Uh, you just replace the zombies with... A horror with, action hybrid, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has zombies in it, but it's not really about the, the gore. It's more about the survival and the sort of the fighting yeah. well, and, and about, the chasing about, than it is about the actual uh, tragedy, which it tries to be about but doesn't quite succeed. I, I forget who it was, but someone was telling me uh, that the difference between a horror movie and a thriller, and mm. I actually don't necessarily subscribe to this, the, but the, it's an interesting the, point. This, this was me. Oh, I said you. This, you, yeah. were saying, you were talking about how a horror movie is about 
getting killed. It's about death. And, yeah. and a thriller is about survival, escaping. Yeah. Death. It's about it's about survival. And a lot of people die in this movie, but ultimately every set piece is about survival, isn't it? Yeah. And the people and the reason why you know there's so many perfunctory deaths is because ultimately we're really engaged in like four or five characters surviving. That's yeah. it. You brought up an interesting point earlier. You're talking about how one of the things that uh, prevents you from fully engaging with a lot of zombie movies is the idea that so much of the cast is just zombie food and mm. we're really not going to spend a lot of meaningful time with them. Have you ever watched or read The Walking Dead? Because that's the whole point of that, is to spend mm. way more time with the characters. Okay. The story doesn't end. After we like flee like you know the, the compound... It's the movie isn't yeah. over. We just go to another compound well, and, and we have to try to find a life somehow. Yeah, that that's and that's another thing that also also bugs me about zombie movies. It's a trope <laughs> I kind of hate, okay. where the main characters somehow get in their heads that there's a safe haven somewhere, mm-hmm. and there never is. Yeah, it's like we well, got. What are you supposed to gotta, fucking do? What do you do? Well, but why are you on the road? That's just as there's safe no, as not being on the road. Well, there's it's, no it's, safe it's, haven from earthquakes either. We yeah. all live in buildings and hope for the best <laughs> here in California. Yeah, just you know, you the, know, like what are you gonna do? The, the world is over. It's like, oh, we got to find a place. Okay, this is boring. You're just wandering around looking for something that might not be there. Well, people, people yeah. want stability. I mean, mm. that's that's a natural thing yeah. we want in our lives. And, but I've I've seen enough zombie movies that they either don't find it or they do find it and then they wreck it. Yeah. Like they, they don't pretty they much don't, every season of The Walking Dead they find it and then they wreck it. Then they wreck it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, oh, or look, someone else does. Oh, yeah. good, we found safe haven. Oh, but there's mm. one dickhead who yeah. carved a hole in the fence for whatever reason, and now the zombies got in. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, because you, you just you 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 complained about like yeah. one like sort of tropey thing mm. that bugs you, and then when I brought up a, a, a show that and a comic book yeah. series that tries to fly in the face of that, mm. you brought up a different tropey thing. But mm. let's let's throw that out for a second. Right. Let's ignore the machinations of plot. Focus on character. Mm. Does that appeal to you, like what The Walking Dead has done, I, the idea of just sticking with the characters? Because it sounds like you're not happy either way. Uh, no, no, that, that doesn't make me happy. It's the same thing, just on a larger, longer timeline. Isn't that what life is? <laughs> like, no, just, life we're, is, we're life all is not, no, we're life is not a zombie food movies. eventually, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you're not going to get engaged with, we're, we're not going to be friends because eventually I'm going to die? Like, what are you going to do here? I, I, well, I, I'm watching an entertainment. I'm not yeah. so invested in these characters. I'm not entertaining that, to you? Is that what you're saying? You're real life. You're plenty entertaining. All when right. I'm watching a zombie movie, those are fake people, aren't and they? You're, you're and I'm not getting the in, I, I'm not getting involved in their drama because I know in my head, not maybe not in my heart, but in my head, okay. that those characters are eventually going to die. And so it's difficult for me to get involved in their drama when I know their deaths are are going to ultimately be cheap writing devices. Mm. I, I've always been really upset with like a long-running TV show that kills a main character because it never feels dramatic. It feels like they ran out of ideas. Like they're trying to grab you with this big, cheap, sweep, sweep sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's, that's The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every time The Walking Dead killed someone, it was always for maximum dramatic effect. Mm. And listen, you know, I get you know it. It's a TV it's, series. Yeah. It's a, it's, Walking you know, Dead is a soap opera with zombies. Can we all admit this? Uh, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I, have, I love soap operas. I've not seen Frame One of The Walking Dead. I haven't played any of the games. But, like, I haven't but the read way any that the, comics. the way that they play their big moments, like mm. we're going to get pregnant, but we're going to get pregnant in the middle of we're going to uh, we're going to have a baby. We're going to baby in the middle of a zombie attack. Mm. That's that's when in a soap opera you give birth on a plane that doesn't or have a pilot. A like that's a sweeps yeah. week thing. That's what you do. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. I have had people like like really stare daggers at me for describing something as soap operatic mm. because a lot of people associate the word soap opera with something negative. Like a cheap drama. Yeah. I do not. Mm. 
It is simply a very pulpy, melodramatic way of telling a story. I grew up watching soap operas, daytime soap operas. I love them to pieces. It's a specific storytelling style. And a lot of TV shows and movies borrow elements of that and for some reason are afraid to call their shots. I will call the shots. Walking Dead is very much a soap opera. But that's kind of what a soap opera is, too. Like, it's a daily program where you live with these people and all of the big moments in their lives are dramatically heightened. And that can be really, really satisfying. It is also contrived Mm. because not everyone's life is super interesting Mm. all the time. Well, and here, you know, I I think the... Or maybe not super interesting, super eventful all the time. I think my, my issue with... Zombie movies in particular is that we have to look at the zombies themselves. Mm. Zombies are just human-shaped eat machines. Like, they don't have character or rich backstory or a philosophy they're living by. There are a few exceptions to that. A a, a few, but those are meant Mm. to be exceptions. Generally speaking, the zombies are just sort of these mindless monsters with teeth. Generally speaking, yes, that's true. Uh, and, and as such, there's no idea that the characters are fighting. And they, the zombies become this sort of vague mass mm-hmm. that just represents, uh, you know, survivalist fantasies and, uh, and the end of the world. Often. Yeah. Or, so, or uh, uh, yeah, basically those are the big if, if the zombies were, like, thoughtful in some sort of way, or if the zombies were... It's like, I can't, I can't smash this zombie's head because it's my friend. My friend turned into a zombie. Yeah. But, you know, I'm thinking, but if you don't smash their head, they'll still bite you and you'll die. Yeah. So just smash their head. Well, there are, and, and there are, yeah. like, uh, and, uh, Shaun of the Dead presented an exception to that, too, mm-hmm. didn't they, at the end? D- d- what with, happened uh, the with, end uh, uh, Nick Frost. I, I don't they end up playing oh, video games. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> they, they trained the zombie to play video games. Yeah, it's fine. There was a, there's a, a really a fun zombie movie I like called Fido. With uh, oh, I never Billy, saw that, yeah. It, yeah, Billy, Con- it takes place in like an alternate version of the 1950s where there was already a zombie apocalypse, but we tamed them with like <laughs> zombie collars, and Billy Connolly plays this zombie who is tamed, and it turns out they have a lot more humanity. And, I'm always interested in like because uh, the, there's always the zombie apocalypse, and it's always uh, about oh we're all everyone's chaos and uh, buildings on fire. What are we gonna do? I'm always fascinated by the movies that take place after the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> because, and there are some, and some of them are kind of interesting. There was that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Maggie, where it's like, yeah, every time someone dies, they turn into a zombie. And we've all kind of gotten used to that now. But Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter it, is dying and he can't bring himself to do it. And it's actually pretty good. I like yeah, that one. I, I, was, never, um, I never saw Maggie. I, I want to see good. Maggie. I heard it's really was, good. There, oh, there's a, and there's a new, actually, Walking Dead spinoff that actually mm-hmm. takes place like... It's about teenagers, but they grew up in the zombie apocalypse. So this is their normal. Ah, okay. And I'm like, interesting. No, I, I actually kind of want to see that. That yeah. actually sounds kind of neat. I want to. I'll watch yeah. that. But yeah, if if they had added some sort of wrinkle, like my friend is attacking me, but they can still speak. Like they're not just going. Yeah. That's like, like maybe they're cogent, but they can't control their bodies. Like yeah. you have to kill me, or I'm gonna bite you. And you know that. That's creepy. Yeah. Uh, that, that little creepier, and that lends a little bit more of a moral dimension. It gives the zombies a little bit more character. As as I'd such, like to see that actually. I don't think I've ever really seen that. Like yeah. maybe on like an individual basis, like as someone's turning or whatever. But like just like no, I'm fully. My brain is working. I just can't control yeah, what I'm a, doing. Just, just add, yeah. add add some sort it's of creepy. thought or philosophy to exactly. the zombie, other than them being. Uh, the symbol for the usual stuff, which is, you know, yeah. diseased society, the end of the world, and survivalism. But I, you've got to admit, though, that that sort of conceptual simplicity is mm. why the zombie it's, is so pervasive. It's not well, just... It's because it's, it's versatile. It's, yeah, well. it's not just yeah. because it's cheap. It is. Mm. But it's also, like, because it is so simple, that's very primal. 
The idea of human beings without human personality reduced to violent creatures mm. who have no impulse control, who do not respect other human life innately the way that humans are expected to, who have abandoned society and mm. are just creatures. And that leads to the downfall of society. There is something really simple and pure about that. I think that's why we keep coming back to the zombie. I think that's why there there are certain monsters that are so like primal Mm -hmm. that we keep coming back to them. Vampires are very primal. They live off the blood blood, of people. They live in the night. Uh, Frankenstein, the undead that has been created Mm -hmm. for a science run amok. These are concepts that are just very uh... simple and we can keep manipulating them to be relevant no matter what we do with them. Yeah, they can represent uh, something yeah. in society that we've always wanted them to. So the to. more specific we mm. make them, arguably, the less power they'll have mm. over time. I, I think what what's getting me, and I think I'm just answering a question that people ask me all the time and I never have an answer for, I think I prefer slow zombies. Uh, I think I prefer zombies that look dead. Mm. Uh, when somebody is bitten by a zombie and they just become a rage monster and they just look like a person... That maybe is less interesting than an actual corpse shambling slowly toward you in the dark of a graveyard. I maintain Mm. to this day the greatest zombie performance. It's not quite a zombie performance, but functionally. Mm. Boris Karloff in 1931's Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. That is, he is playing a corpse. Yeah, yeah. He He looks like a corpse, and he is playing a corpse, and he is actually very subtly... Mm. Over the course of that film and the sequel, regaining something resembling human consciousness. But he starts off as a barely functioning yeah, like a, walking corpse. And if, if that is it, terrifying. One, if you of, the, get yourself in the, one of the first times it. we see like a full shot of the monster, it's just sort of standing in the cell, reaching up to sunlight. Like, oh, yeah. that's all it can do. It's like a bug. Well, even just when it like turns mm-hmm. to the camera and you get a good look at its face for the mm-hmm. first time, this is the Carl is doing almost nothing. He's, He's got that mortician's putty on his eyes yeah. to make his eyelids look droopy. Yeah. Um, he had a, a bridge and uh, his teeth mm-hmm. uh, that he popped out for the performance and sucked <laughs> his cheek in to give his yeah. face sort of that more cadaverous so look. But like, yeah, and he's playing it like this is a cadaver on a slab mm-hmm. that happens to be upright and moving. That's it. I'm not adding anything to that. And then gradually, as the creature starts having more experiences... Only then does he start adding something resembling humanity to it. But that is a slow build. That is a powerful performance. That that is one of the all-time great performances of anything. Because that was not a thing that had been done yet. And if you want, like, the ultimate zombie story, it's got to be Frankenstein. Yeah, this this idea of the dead coming back and not really understanding what it used to be, what death is. Mm -hmm. Only that it is dead. Yeah. This creature doesn't really understand that it's a living thing until after a while he just understands that other people have something that he doesn't yeah it's it's basically a zombie with an existential crisis which yeah. is which is great really that, that, that's the way you do a zombie yeah. story still the best anyway yeah. um anyway train to busan it's a really 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 cool movie no one's mm. denying that um i is it the greatest zombie movie the last 10 years it's up there not my number one it's, it, it's again, good it's, though. It's big. It's slick. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't fault any of the technicals. I think the performances yeah. are fine, and this kind of cursory approach of the deadbeat dad story, which we see in Hollywood comedies all the time, yeah, is a fine enough 
even if it's a flimsy skeleton to hang an action set piece on. Yeah, I just that's the thing for me is that I feel like ultimately for all of the celebration this movie gets, it's actually like as a narrative, as a story, as something that actually has something on its mind. It's actually pretty thin, but as an action movie horror zombie hybrid, hmm. it's the bee's knees. And I have <laughs> We all agree that bee yeah. knees are like the pinnacle of evolution. <laughs> the, bee's knees are the cat's pajamas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I want to see Luke in pajamas. He'd look really Aww. cute. Um, anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with reviews of a bunch of stuff. We also have a new film on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club. Uh, we asked everyone to pick horror movies on Shudder because that's all they really got on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Didn't really need to narrow it down further. And uh, in a landslide, uh, you picked the Vincent Price slasher Theater of Blood, in which Vincent Price plays a hammy Shakespearean actor who decides to wreak vengeance on the critics who slammed his performances by killing them in a manner inspired by Shakespeare's plays. I love this movie, and Whitney has never seen this <laughs> movie. Seen we this talked one, about yeah. it in the Shakespeare episode we did at the Iron List. Uh, I was surprised he hadn't seen it. I'm really, really glad you picked it. I, I haven't revisited this movie in a while. This is going to be a treat. So if you have Shudder, you might want to check that out uh, for next week, or any time at all, really. Hmm. Um, and uh, we'll have more uh, uh, cool stuff throughout the month. Uh, we have tons of exclusive stuff. Over at the critically acclaimed Patreon, we have podcasts dedicated to 1960s Batman, to every single episode of Star Trek ever made, to stuff that isn't on Disney+. Plus. This month we're going to be doing, uh, for whatever reason, the very first film based on a Disney amusement park ride is not on Disney+. Plus. It is Tower of Terror, starring Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst. We'll be reviewing that on an upcoming episode of Not on Disney+, Plus, exclusively on our Patreon page. We've got commentary tracks. We've got Oscars podcasts. We've got a ton of stuff. It's all over there. You can vote for future episodes. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Thank you to all of our patrons, without whom the show would not be possible. Um, if you want to email us, talk to us about anything we discussed on this podcast or any other podcast, or just anything else that's on your mind, you can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We may read your email on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We've got mail right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. You can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Whitney, am I forgetting anything? Uh, God, we have so much, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, probably. Uh, but in any case, thank you everybody once again, and never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>